Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. We have such a, a hope of right now walking with God, but then even what God's going to do, He's going to do greater things than even this in the life of the believer. So again, as it is written, eye has not seen, your eyes haven't seen it, ears haven't heard it, nor have it entered into your heart. You haven't even dreamed it up in an imagination. The things that God has prepared for those who love Him, and I, that word prepared is important to me because that means God, there's forethought. When you prepare something, you don't prepare it on accident. It's not like, you know, just happenstance. God said, the things I prepared for those who love me. And that's in this life and that's in the life to come. First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. In his message today, Pastor Bill encourages you to understand that God is preparing even in the now. God is moving and working out things in your life today, not just yesterday or in 10 years from now. How amazing is our God that he will take care of you, not only yesterday, but today and tomorrow. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Colossians 2.15 tells him that Jesus triumphed over all of them through the resurrection that he triumphed over it all. And this is the idea there is that he's going to say it in just a minute. If the demonic realm had understood what was going to happen, right? They were behind all the things that took place to get Jesus on the cross. If they had understood that they were going to, they were, they were working toward their own defeat. Paul's going to say they wouldn't even have did it, but they, they didn't know. They only know so much. Look at verse seven, but we speak wisdom. The, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had they known, they wouldn't have did it. Satan thought, and if you guys go back and look at the things that were happening in the unseen realm, you go back all the way to Genesis. And, you know, God told them, and, you know, Satan was there in the Garden of Eden, um, tempting them to eat what God said, don't eat. And he was there trying to bring division between man and God. He succeeded and Eve ate and she gave to her husband and brought sin and separation. God came to Genesis chapter three and everybody got their punishments and Adam and Eve were covered with the animal skins. And Satan was told that the, the, the seed of the woman was going to crush him. And so he went after that. Genesis chapter six. Satan tried to intervene in the, the, that process and the angels actually came down and, and had sex with women and made the, this other group, these giants. And that's a whole nother thing we can get into. And so God came and dealt with that. And as you go out through history, it's, it's like Satan's looking at the bloodline where the Messiah is going to come through and trying to shoot it down. And you get all the way to the Gospels. And when Jesus is born and, and, the, and the word goes to the king, he says, you know, what? kill every baby at that age to wipe them all out. Go kill them. Kill them all. All those babies die. But they get Jesus. But the, the mindset there was we can, we can stop God's plan. That's in the demonic realm. We can stop it. We'll kill the babies and stop it. They tried to kill babies before and stop it. And they've been saying this in the unseen. They've been going after this thing all along. We'll stop it. But it doesn't work. The crazy thing is the interesting thing is you can you can source these things out. These things actually happen. It's not just Bible tales and stories. These are facts. They did things happen. Those kings were moved to do these things and killed that many babies from two and under. But Jesus survived it all and everything that God intended to do, he did. And then finally, right among the 12 disciples that Jesus chose, he chose a mole. He chose Judas. He didn't choose Judas because he didn't know that Judas was a fraud. He's, he knew he was going to the cross. He came to die. 
Uh, we're going to celebrate Christmas soon, and we're going to talk about how he was born, and they wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Those are burial cloths. And it's just a, this a, he was born to die. He came knowing that was the mission. He came to die for you guys and for me. But again, Satan is saying, man, we kill him. If this is the one, if this is everything, we'll kill him and end everything. And so they finally got him hung up on the cross. And I, I can't even think of what the celebration of the demonic realm was like when Jesus gave up the ghost. It must have been a, a awesome and a, awesome is good and bad. For them, it must have been a, 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 just an awesome celebration that he died. We did it. We killed Jesus. They killed him. They moved leaders. They moved human beings. They, it says that the devil actually entered into Judas to betray him. And Jesus said, man, do what you do quickly. It wasn't like he didn't know. But he said, do what you do quickly. Right. I, I don't know what I'm going to do in three days. Whoop all y'all. But so Judas did what he did. He betrayed Jesus with a kiss, turned him over. Jesus didn't fight it. Peter chopped the dude's ear off. Jesus said, Peter, stop. If I wanted to, I could call down legions of angels and smoke all these fools. That's my paraphrase. But that's not what I came to do. I'm going to die. That's what I'm supposed to do. Relax. Put the dude's ear back on, healed him, fixed him all up, make sure it was straight, you know, and, and he kept it moving because he came to die. And there he dies on the cross and he's in the tomb. I believe hell celebrated. I believe hell was like, yes. Three days later, he rose from the grave, conquered death. That's why whenever I pray with people for that, I said, you know, he, he conquered death. He conquered Satan. He conquered. I mean, overcame. Right. You can't kill me. You, death couldn't hold him. Right. You, you failed. You couldn't stop him. I'm, I mean, that's the, the greatest demonstration that Jesus is God is that you killed me and I live again. Just like I said, in three days, I would rise. I rose. Now what? Now I'm taking other people with me. Right. I rose from the grave so those that believe in me don't have to fear death either because they're going to rise too. He's an, he's an example, an illustration for us of what will be for us. We'll, you know, death is not the end for the believer. Death is how I enter into the next realm. I don't get to, I got to die to go to heaven unless I get to be here for the rapture, which you know, I'm down for that. I'm looking for that. But, but either way, right, for, for the majority of us, death will be how we enter the next realm. So death for the believer is not necessarily a sad thing. We'll miss you. But for, if, it, if it's a believer to believer, it's not it's not goodbye. It's I'll see you later. Right. I'm going to see you later. I'll see you again. I'll be I'm coming too, you know. And so that's demonstrated in, in what Jesus did. And so even he said when he says here that had they known. Right. That means that they didn't know. That means that the demons thought they won. They thought for three days we did it. We went in. We killed them. We whooped them. Now, now we'll go after all them disciples that are all messed up and sad and, and beat down and everything else. Three days later, he rose from the grave. He went to them. He went to the disciples. He went to Peter, who was bummed out. Peter was messed up because he had denied the Lord right before. That's the last thing he did. And so Jesus went to Peter and restored him. Say, you know what? You love me? Feed my sheep. You love me? Tend my lambs. Got a job for you to do. You still going to be a fisher of men. Reinstated Peter. Get on, boy. He went and met with the other disciples. He went and, and, and saw, was seen by many people. He gave some instructions and everything else. But that verse in Colossians 2.15, in the death and burial of Jesus, it says in 14 and 15 of Colossians 2, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us because we couldn't keep the law. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. That's Satan and the demonic realm. They've been disarmed through the death of Jesus, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. 
God says the cross was the victory place for Jesus. He triumphed over the demonic realm through the cross. That's why it's such a critical thing for the believer, the cross. There's never been anything more significant, more important ever happened in human history than that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me and for you. Nothing ever, nothing greater will ever happen. And the only thing, you know, the only thing, I guess the, the next piece is that after he died, he rose, that he didn't stay dead. Separates him from every other false deity, every other thing that wants to be a God, every other religious group. And so that's how come we, we can't kumbaya it with everybody. I can't be with a Muslim. Talking about, well, let's just both pray. No, no, you don't know God. The, the, the God of Islam is not God. That's not, it's not it's one God, one way. John 14, 6, he's the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to the Father except through him. There's no other way. None. Who else died and rose? Nobody. Everybody else died is dead and in hell and had to give an account to him. People forget that. Everybody else died and had to, they got to give an account to him. He's not giving an account to anybody. He's taking account. He dies. He's judge and king and Lord and master. When the Bible says he's the king of kings, that means there's no authority above his authority. He's the authority above every other authority. King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Right. There are lots of lords there are lots of things that people that people submit to. But he's the Lord of lords. Everybody ultimately stops with me. They come by my way. So we're blessed to know him and to know how to interact with him and to know his way. And so moving on, it says this, this is my favorite verse in the Bible. Uh, I love a lot of verses, but for years, this has been my my favorite verse. And I'll tell you why. Verse chapter two, verse nine, first Corinthians says, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. This is a quotation. It's a loose quotation, but it's a quotation from Isaiah 64 verse four. And I believe it's got a twofold meaning. I do believe concerning heaven and the afterlife that there are things that no eye has seen and no ears heard. And it has not entered into the hearts of man, the things that God has prepared for those of us that love him. I do believe that we have some amazing things to look forward to. I'm reminded that the Apostle Paul got a glimpse into the third heaven. And after he saw it, you know what he said? He said, I heard things that it would be unlawful. What I saw, what I heard, it, it, I won't even, I'm not even going to put it into words. It would be unlawful for me to try to put these things into human words. You got to wait till you get there. So I'm always skeptical of the person that says, I saw heaven and I wrote a book and you can buy it for $12.99. For real? Because Paul went and Paul was like, I can't even put it into words. Y'all gonna have to wait. It's, it's just too much. It's, it's, human words won't do it justice. So when somebody giving me some human words, I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah. And slowly but surely, some of these people that said this stuff, after the books come out and do whatever, they're like, I lied. I mean, one little kid, they did a whole movie and everything. And the kid was like, I lied. <laughs> you lied? Can I have my money back? You know, <laughs> and they're you know, they selling it. Paul wouldn't. Paul said, no, no, nah, I, I can't even say it. So that, that's one part of it. Right. But then I got to point out verse 10. He says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. So it's not just heaven. Right. There are things right now. Right. There are things that God is doing. The Bible says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or even imagine. That's even now. That's even now for the person that will walk with the God and, and live a life according to the spirit. There are things in this life that God said, I'm going to do. So I'll do things in this life that will blow you away that you haven't even thought of. You think about some of us here before we were saved and what you were thinking like and what you thought you would want to do and what you wanted to be and where, where your life would be and what would be happening, so forth and so on. And then how's that changed since you know the Lord? How's it changed since you walk with God? 
I would say that my life right now is, this is nothing like what I thought when I wasn't saying my life would be right now. It, it's, and I wouldn't even, I didn't want to go into what I thought my life would be right now because it was a shame, what I wanted. What I, my goals were shameful goals, right? But as I look at coming into Christ and having the spirit of God inside me and now what God is doing, it's like, man, this is, this is beyond what I, 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 this is better than anything I could have ever imagined in my life. That's right now, right? And I know that there's even more, there's more things that God wants to do that's beyond that. But then beyond this life, right? We have such a hope as believers. We have such a, a hope of right now walking with God, but then even what God's going to do, he's going to do greater things than even this in the life of the believer. So again, as it is written, eye has not seen. Your eyes haven't seen it. Your ears haven't heard it, nor have it entered into your heart. You haven't even dreamed it up in an imagination. The things that God has prepared for those who love him. And I, that word prepared is important to me. Because that means, God, there's forethought. When you prepare something, you don't prepare it on accident. It's not like, you know, just happenstance. God says, the things I've prepared for those who love me. And that's in this life and that's in the life to come. There are things that God has prepared for those in this life that love him and walk with him. How do you demonstrate your love for God, family? How, how does a believer show God we love him in a way that matters to him? Obey his commands. The greatest demonstration of love for God, not how loud I sing, though that could be an expression of my love for God. It's my obedience, my obedience to his word. If you want to scream, God, I love you, do it through obedience. Your obedient life tells God, I love you. When your flesh wants to do this, but you know God doesn't want you to do that, and so you do the right thing, not because your flesh didn't want to, but because you wanted to please God, that screams to God, I love you. Every time you obey God, every time you, you obey him and, and resist your own flesh or temptations or whatever to obey him, that is in God's lingo. That's, that's his love language. He chose me over that. He loves me. She chose that over that. She loves me. That's God's love language. And so God said, for those who love me, prepare some amazing things in the life to come, but in this life too. That encourages me. I read that and I'm like, man, it's just good for the believer on both sides of everything. Again, verse 10, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit for the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. And we know that something God does for every believer. God gives us his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. There's God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, God comes to live within us. John 14, as Jesus was preparing the disciples for his physical departure, the departure of Jesus from the earth. He told them in John 14, 16, I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So God say, look, when I leave, right, it's been great that I'm walking with you right now on the earth. But when I leave the Holy Spirit, another helper is going to come as the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you and then he's going to dwell in you. The work of the Holy Spirit, he's going to he's going to dwell in the believer. And then we got the third experience of the Holy Spirit coming upon us, which we've spoken about many times. But that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's going to come and he's going to be the one to reveal truth to us, to lead us into all truth. And so here God says that, you know what? The world can't receive these things, but I reveal them to you by my spirit. There are certain things, as he'll say, that are only spiritually discerned. And that's why we don't come at non-believers with a whole lot of other stuff like they don't know. They can't know. There are things that it requires the Holy Spirit for us to understand. And so he comes to live inside of us. Uh, the spirit of truth says he searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. Verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. 
I don't even do Bible debate with non-believers. If you're not saved, right, you can't understand. Um, the Bible says we're going to see the natural man can't understand. He doesn't understand the things of the spirit because they're spiritually discerned. So when I'm dealing with non-believers, um, I got one thing, gospel. I need to love you and I need to be sharing the gospel, right? All these other things. And I made some of these mistakes earlier on in my walk with the Lord discussing extra things with people that ain't born again. They can't understand it. You know what you want to pray for non-believers as you engage them and talk to them? The Bible says that the God of this age, Satan, has blinded them that they don't see. So the thing that you want to pray for a non-believer, God, I pray that you would bind Satan who blinds them, that, that, it, that they at least might see clearly because they can't even see right now. Satan's got them just like this. They can't see. Anybody here remember when you couldn't see, you, didn't, you just couldn't understand, you didn't make sense to you at all? See, I remember that. I remember when I could hear it, but I, didn't, I, didn't, I just couldn't see it. It didn't make anything, it didn't make any sense at all. And then I remember all of a sudden, just it clicked. And I, I saw it, I understood it, it all made sense. But I didn't start off that way, right? That was a process. God did that. So we want to be mindful as we're talking to non-believers and ministering to them that there are things that they, they can't even see it right now. So don't be debating things. Be sharing the gospel with non-believers. Verse 12, now we receive not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And so he's just saying, we, you know, we compare spiritual things to spiritual. I'm explaining things to you. I'm not, I'm not drawing from the world to explain to you spiritual things. I'm explaining spiritual things with spiritual things. I've always heard this said that the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Many times you're teaching principles from the New Testament. You can find your illustrations in the Old Testament because the, the very things are worked out and you can just draw them together where you're comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Paul's out. I'm not digging into the world. I'm not digging into philosophy to try to help you understand God. I'm comparing spiritual things with things that are spiritual, keeping it all in the same place. Verse 14, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And so once again, the natural man, that's the non-believer. He's just a natural man. What does a natural man do? He gets up, he eats, he drinks, he does natural things. He does what he feels like doing. He's a natural man, doesn't understand the things of the spirit, so with the natural man, we want to share the gospel. We don't want to be mad at the natural man for being a natural man. We don't want to be frustrated with him. But we also don't want to come at him as though he's spiritually alive and be giving him biblical principles to live by. And he's like, I don't live by that. What is that? That, that sounds crazy. That's foolishness. God tells us right here, it'll be foolishness to him. And once again, I remember in my life, probably well-meaning people, but it, it was foolishness to me at that time. It was absolute foolishness. Some of the rules and restrictions that were thrown out to me uh, when I didn't know God. All things that when I got saved, I not only agreed with but wanted to do. But apart from knowing God, it just was foolishness. So we want to be careful in our, our presentation to the world. Some Christians are known for what they're against, but nobody knows what they're for. And I just want you to know that's, that's, that's not how you want to be known. That's not a good witness. If the people in your life that are not saved, all they know about you is that you're against this. He's against gays. He's against drinking. He's against smoking. He's against, he's against, he's against. They don't know who you're for. They ain't, they ain't heard the gospel from you yet. That's bad. And so I try to be careful how I lead out with people, right? Because I am against a lot of things. But when I'm dealing with a non-believer, they need to know what I'm for. I'm for Jesus. 
I, I want to say, I got, I got to keep it in that place. That's what they need from me. Last two verses, 15. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Doesn't mean that someone, you know, spirit, someone's Christian can't be judged or corrected by someone else. But he who is spiritual, he judges all things. And so when you're judging things yourself, you don't need to be judged. When, you're, when you can look at yourself and say, you know what, I judge that, that's wrong. I need to make that correction. I don't need an exile. I don't need someone outside to come and bring it. The people that need someone outside to bring judgment is those that won't judge themselves. If I won't check myself and my behavior and you got to come and say, hey, man, you got a bad attitude today. I mean, I could have checked myself. I could have said, oh, I can't talk like that. I'm, I know better than that. And check myself. Spiritual. If you got to do it for me from outside, that means I'm not being spiritual. I'm not walking the way I'm supposed to walk. So doesn't mean that we don't check each other because at time to time, everybody here slips and falls and we need to help each other out. So we just want to do it with meekness and grace. Last verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Obviously nobody. But it says, but... We have the mind of Christ. None of us are in a place, obviously, of instructing God. And I don't think that's we all know that. But God says, but what I have done for everybody here, I've given you the mind of Christ. I've, something God does to the believer as we grow in our walk with the Lord, as we grow in our knowledge of the word, as we spend time in the word. God says the mind of Christ. We begin to have his mind. We're growing in our ability to, to think like him as we think through the scriptures. I'm never going to grow to a place of judging or instructing God. But his mind, I can't have the mind of Christ. I can grow into a place where I'm spiritually minded, where the mind of Christ, the word of God is changing the way that I think about things, and the way I view things. Three main points that I would just challenge us with. One, as Paul opened up and he kind of spoke throughout, in my presentation to the world, Paul says, I, I determined to know nothing else among you guys except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Everybody here, I know we interact with non-believers on a regular basis. I would just encourage you, as I'm encouraged as well, that in my interactions with the non-believers in my life, that I would seek out opportunities to share with them what matters. That I wouldn't waste my influence, that I wouldn't waste my opportunities with people in my life that need desperately the gospel, talking about things that don't matter, arguing about things that they don't understand, and not getting to the crux of the matter, not getting to the place. Paul said, I've declared to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Paul knew a lot. We know from his other books. Paul knew sports. Paul knew politics. Paul knew Jewish custom. Paul knew Jewish law. He knew a grip of stuff. But he says, among you guys, I need to know why I need to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. God forbid I sit around and talk sports with men that are going to hell and never speak the gospel. God forbid that we do that with anybody. So with the people in your life that need the gospel, would you be the person? Would you be the one? That would speak up. You'll be afraid. Paul said, I was in fear and trembling and shaking everything else. But would you do that? Would you be that person? Second thing, look at, at the, the message of the gospel and what we're drawing people to. Uh, that we'd be cautious about presenting a gospel that lacks potency and power. That we're not calling people to stuff or to things or to, you know, cures. That when we call people to something, we're drawing them with Jesus. And that that would be the main thing that we're presenting to people. Jesus, who he is, what he did for them, how they could know him. And lastly, as Paul goes throughout this whole thing and he, he shares on just not being real big on the wisdom of men, his own personal strengths, but that it will really be a work of the spirit of God in and through his life and how every believer has that. I, I never can take for granted everybody here knows God. Maybe you heard this today 
And for some of you, you heard it and you're like, man, I got to be careful how I present God to people. I need, I need to be more mindful of my presentation of the gospel. And maybe some of you heard this and says, hey, I'm, I'm one of those people that heard the wrong gospel. I, I, I came to a wrong, I, I came to God for something else other than for forgiveness and salvation. And maybe you're here and you need to come to him today for forgiveness and salvation. Uh, he loves you. He died for you. He didn't turn anybody away. Anybody that needs that from him today, he is here to forgive and to restore life. You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Today's message from the book of 1 Corinthians is available to listen to again on our website. Just visit calvaryinglewood.org and click on media. Or you can download our mobile app to listen to more teachings. You'll find a link on our website. You can also search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in your app store. If you're looking for a place to connect this weekend, we'd love for you to join us for church. Look on our website for the latest times and location information. We're a group of people who love to learn from God's Word and be together as the family of God. Again, our website is CalvaryInglewood.org. As we looked into the book of 1 Corinthians, accountability and helping other believers strive for purity and commitment to God are topics that come to the surface. Although these things aren't always fun or easy, they're an incredible blessing to have in your life and in your church. So look to be involved and accountable wherever you're plugged in with other believers. If you notice that this ministry has been a blessing, even when it's convicted your heart in certain ways, we're glad that we can be a part of that. Would you be praying for a transforming word? As the messages go out, many listeners may be hearing about the Lord for the very first time. We ask that you pray for ears to be opened, hearts to be softened, and for lives to be changed. That's all we have time for today. Join Pastor Bill again for another edition of A Transforming Word.